grab your favorite beverage, kick up your feet as you ascend with me into the joy portal of soul reflections, fresh perspectives, fun ideas, and wisdom. Light to light and heart to heart. Smile and breathe even deeper as together we will soar above the perception of all hurdles and shine brightly as the light we are. Namaste and welcome to Light Laughter and Lattes. My name is Jerry Habstreet. I'm an Avesa quantum healer, medical intuitive, self-ascension intuitive counselor, and your friend and soul connection. So welcome this week, everyone. Um, This week is a spectacular week in that it's um, the week of coming into sacred union. It's a week of the mind becoming really, really active. So it's an opportunity for everyone to now free the mind. And as we step closer and closer into a sacred union experience with our soul, with our body, the mind freaks out a bit. <laughs> for whatever reason, we, are, we, we come here to do this, but yet there's a part of us that has a really hard time with it. And the mind gets extremely active. And so I have a guest here today, Gabriel Cousins, who is a physician of the soul, a yogi, a rabbi, a spiritual warrior, and so many other things besides an author, who I think will be a great benefit to all of you who are going through this experience at this time. And before I welcome him in, I want to say welcome to everyone who's listening on Facebook, who's listening on Oneness Talk Radio and YouTube. Thank you for being here today. So welcome, Gabriel. Hey, Terry. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Share, first of all, share what is a physician of the soul? In the context of being a holistic physician, what I see, and that's a person who looks at healing on physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual what I see, and particularly today, people aren't so in touch with their souls. And when you're not really in touch with your soul, you're really not in touch with life and the passion of life. And so that's the level I work with is helping people uh, make contact with their soul again, and or if they're already in contact, to expand that contact so that in every moment of their life, the passion of the soul comes through into their everyday experience. So it's a passionate type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a theoretical type thing. Okay, so let, let's go back with you because most people I know who are here at this time to hold the energy of awakening for the planet usually had to go through some trials and tribulations to get where they're at now. <laughs> I don't know anyone who just said, I'm awake now. It was really easy. <laughs> what is it like? What, what happened when you were maybe younger that you really knew there's something more there that really fed that desire to keep searching? So at the age of one, I had TB. In 1943, TB was a death sentence. So I had to deal with the energy of death from basically almost birth and it became a mystery and a challenge and uh 
in my earlier times, a lot of the people in my family also died. And so it was a deep quest for me. What's the mystery of death? And that was my inter- introduction to liberation. Mm-hmm. Because when you really get the mystery of death, and I didn't really get it till I was, get it, get it, you know, I intellectually knew things, till I was 70, uh, 60, I'm sorry, 33. And I, uh, received what we call Shaktipat or spiritual awakening of the Kundalini energy, uh, Western tradition, Ra Kadesh, same, same concept. And I went into the nothing. I literally disappeared. And as I emerged again in consciousness, a little God voice rang out and said, there is no death for the self. The self is immortal. Now, it was the apperception, the direct experience of that, that really uh, woke me up in, in a whole other level. But I had been searching it for it since I was one. So that's kind of a, a, a was the, the starting point of my spiritual life. As I write my book, you know, Into the Nothing, there it is, that was a starting point. Uh, it's not like I didn't have some spiritual interest and I didn't meditate before, but that was like switches on and now it's time to go for it. And in that process, I began to uh, follow Muktananda, literally lived in India, I don't know, for seven years, a variety of things, meditating six hours a day and chanting four and a half. And I'm also a householder. And so I'm a, two kids and a wife were all kind of doing this dance it's very powerful so that's how I got really started at age one at age eight at age four I knew I wanted to be a a doctor so there's this inner direction that okay there is an inner direction here I don't know what that's about but and at age eight I began to connect more with the scenes although I didn't know who they were but I saw people in white and, and then and <clears throat> going through certain death of my brother when I was 16, I began to meditate, and then my father when I was 21. And then I I got deeper and deeper. So what is this about? I just really had the question, what is death about? Because that was what I was being presented with. And so that was really the waking up force for me was trying to understand death. And after the age of 33, and that was done, and then the next force was, okay, now let's understand what it means to disappear into nothing, to merge with God fully, to go beyond the mind and merge with God fully. And that's because that's what I began to experience. So that's how I got to there. (laughs) So the the Um, mind is, that's our greatest obstacle, isn't it? Yes. Um, but I never tried to overcome the mind. So what, what is your technique for, so, so for relaxing the mind and allowing that natural unification to happen? So when you, with the awakening of the spiritual energy called Kundalini, and when you're meditating six hours a day, the mind naturally disappears. Mm-hmm. So I never fought the mind. I never tried to erase the mind. I just simply went beyond the mind. First step is the mind has to get quiet and then you go beyond the mind. And so 
in the meditation at that level of intensity, I would go beyond the mind. Like I'm meditating six hours a day. That's a lot, you know, to go beyond the mind a lot. So that becomes, became, as I write in my book, my natural state. I actually, well, that's reality. Right. It's not like I read in a book. That's reality. We aren't the mind. We're not the body. We're not the personality. All that became very, very experientially clear. And when you go beyond the mind, there's only that. You know, there's no you. The I-ness disappears. And that's the meaning in my book, Into the Nothing, is that's exactly what happens. And you disappear into the nothing. Now, you said something a little bit earlier. Well, that's a little scary. The truth is, at the level I'm talking about, there's no fear because what? You're going to die? What's the big deal? You know, you've already faced that. So basically, there, and, and I want to acknowledge, for, uh, there is fear for everyone at some point because you're going into the unknown. Mm-hmm. You're going into, you know, uh, no control or, the, or you're giving up the illusion that you are in control where you never were in control. Right. And that's huge for most people. And that's uh, scary. So um, I did specifically have an hour of that in 1973. Mm-hmm. One hour. Ah, the fear was very strong. Mm-hmm. What happened is I also began seeing angels and different things were appearing. It's like, uh, wow, this is another world. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it passes. And then there's only God. And there never was anything to be afraid of to begin with. So in that process of going beyond the mind, the mind is not only quiet, but you're not struggling with it. It's irrelevant to what's going on. So that's actually uh, the direct experience rather than a philosophical position. Mm-hmm. That's how I would put it. And then if you do that every day, <clears throat> six hours a day for seven years, you kind of get used to it. It's your normal state. <laughs> you know, like, what's the big deal here? Well, it sounds like you've um, you're not giving energy to your mind because you're, you're you've spent so much time out of it meditating, and that you're kind of rewiring it so that it understands its position, <laughs> which is not to be so strong anymore. <laughs> so here, here's the key: uh, how how I look at it, and I, and I do explain it into into the nothing. Generally, your ego and mind runs consciousness. Mm-hmm. But when you wake up, consciousness guides the mind. So the mind becomes a tool of consciousness. And that way it works for you. And the personality, your body, your mind, works for you. You don't work for it. Mm -hmm. So the ego works for you. And I mean ego meaning the personality. And, you know, to be in the world, to function in the world, to do service in the world at all levels, you've got to have a personality you gotta have a body gotta have a mind okay right. but that's not what's running things okay right. so it's consciousness is guiding the mind and that's the flip right so we flip from mind guiding consciousness to consciousness guiding the mind right or soul right your consciousness or soul kind well, of the same thing well um i i, I kind of see it the answer is yes uh-huh. but you have soul as a unique soul, as separate from the one, 
that then becomes more hardwired into the one, which is the consciousness. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, in, in my tradition, in the, say the Torah tradition, there's five levels of soul, and the highest level, Yehida, is hardwired into mm-hmm. the divine. But you have unique individual soul. That's what's reincarnating and doing the different things. Okay. If that if that starts to make sense, so there are levels of the soul, but ultimately the soul at the deepest level is hardwired and is one with God. So let's let's talk a little bit about you. You got some real life like football in here. You, that was one of the keys for you on your path of liberation, correct? That's hard to get, right? So how did that happen? Well, well yeah. Um, there's a place where you go beyond the mind. I was not the biggest player on the field. I was actually the smallest person on the field. And to, to be at the level I was, which was um, National Football Hall of Fame, College Football Hall of Fame, and captain of an undefeated college football team, Amherst College, how did that happen? I had to go way beyond myself. Okay, and in the process of going beyond myself, I would actually go into these very ecstatic states, again, beyond the mind. And so I would disappear in the middle of a football game, going beyond the mind. So that's that was actually my first taste uh, of, of what I'm talking about, but a taste. Of course, football season ends. You know, you graduate. Now what? How do you get there on a regular basis? And so that's kind of how that went. So football was my actual introduction because I so extremely exerted myself that I just had to go beyond normal consciousness to do what I was doing. That's how it died. So you're talking about on the field when you're playing in order for you to do what you wanted to do, you had to go beyond your mind in during a game Absolutely. Okay. And beyond pain and beyond a bunch of things. <laughs> sure. Okay. I mean, so, and and the, result, yeah. the result was that even, you know, with using meditation, I was able to have an abdominal, two abdominal operations for hernias without anesthetic. How do you do it? You go beyond the mind. Well, beyond the mind, there's no senses. So I like to test myself. So I thought that would be a good test. You know? Yeah. But yeah. that's what I mean by beyond the mind. Actually, I mean right. beyond the mind. You know, it's like you can't, you can't get a hernia operation and be cut open, you know, uh, without anesthetic unless you are beyond the mind. Right. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is, this is such a good topic right now because our world outside of this topic is largely all engaged in the mind right now. It's all distraction energy and all um, totally the opposite. So (laughs) I think there's a lot of people that are really wanting to free their mind and and liberate it from all of that stuff. Well, I a hundred percent agree. And I will say that my students, they get it. It's like, wait, this is really, taking us in the wrong direction. Let's go back into the truth of who we are. Let's deepen our connection with our soul. 
And from that point, we can look at it, but it's out there. It's just the play out there. It has nothing to do with truth, nothing to do with reality. Right. So, yes, that's the, the answer. Uh, is that, but the meditation is a great preparation for being able to play with the outer events in a way that doesn't distract you from the truth. Mm-hmm. This is a real test for people, how not to get distracted from the truth while all this circus is going on. Yeah, well, what it is doing on a, a very cool level, it is causing people to go, wait a minute, I know this is not my truth. I know there's more to me than what's being shown out there. And so what is my truth? Right. And so many people are waking up through this. So it's, yeah. it's a, a gift. gift. A big gift. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So obviously we are, you know, mind, body, spirit. And so there's more to this path. Um, than just releasing the mind. We have to take care of our bodies and we have to bring a certain level of purity. That's what I'm finding anyways with my body into, into the vessel so that you can hold the frequencies, can hold the higher energy. Um, and, and I know you, you're very much a vegan and um, raw, correct? Can you, yeah. Can you share what your, your, um, work is with cleansing and how, how important it is to care for the vessel in the way that you do? Yeah. Um, the approach I take is how do we become a superconductor of the divine? Mm. Okay. And where I go with that is uh, actually when I, I had that experience of going into nothing, coming back down, I also got a voice that said, you should learn to eat and live in a way to support the Kundalini, to support, become a superconductor of the divine. So that was my mission. That was back in 1975. So it's like, okay. And from that, I began looking at diet. And in 1986, I wrote my first book, uh, Spiritual Nutrition, the Rainbow Diet. What I discovered is a plant source only vegan, um, live food diet and for me i was 100 percent, but no 99 but at least 80 percent live food best is the best diet for coming up becoming a superconductor it naturally detoxes you regenerates your organs regenerates your body and and, and it really your mind as well in a variety of ways most of the people who i find uh, who go on this diet naturally begin to meditate and their minds are uh, much more expanded. They're not dealing with the energy of death. So when you take an, uh, you kill an animal, you're taking its pain and misery and suffering Mm -hmm. and you take it into you and into your inner levels. Okay. And that blocks the flow of the spiritual energy. Mm -hmm. That's really what the teaching is. And that's what I've observed really is that uh, I found when people, as a psychiatrist also, I got put in charge of he- uh, helping people having trouble with the spiritual energy. It was too much for them. And it was very interesting because some of them began eating meat. I'm thinking, what? Why are they doing that? And then I got the answer. It slows the energy down. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a sludge to the energy. Now, when you're getting too much energy, that's not a bad thing. But what I got from that is, okay, that's it. No meat, fish, chicken, or dairy, done. Because it blocks the flow of the spiritual energy. 
I, I was getting this evidence in a backwards way, but it was like, okay. So that's where I came up with the diet of the live food. The live food has far more energy than food that's cooked. Mm -hmm. The, uh, when you cook food, you lose 50% of the protein and 60, 70% of the vitamins and minerals and the phytonutrients up to 95%. So who needs to do that? So you can eat, actually eat about half as much. I actually only eat one meal a day, okay? Except for a few goji berries in the morning. Uh, that's it, okay? So that happens when you're on live food enough because then you also begin to pull in energy directly the sun. I, I'm uh, also was a, a four-year Native American sun dancer, and uh, in the fourth year, I did something uh, called eagle dance, where, where you have no water, no food, and you never leave the circle, and you're attached to the tree with hooks in your chest for for uh, all four days. And I didn't get sunburned, and I and I out in the field, I was the only one. I know my skin's a little lighter, but they were Native Americans and people from, they're getting sunburned. What's going on? But what I realized is that because of my live food diet, not only did I have more energy to do what, I was really the only one to be able to do what I did, but I was eating the light of the sun. Mm -hmm. It was literally coming into me and energizing me um, directly. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's like, oh my goodness, because when you really go with the live food and mostly when I live food, I'm talking about leafy greens, nuts and seeds. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking, uh, you know, beans or anything cooked like that. Mm -hmm. So you literally become, uh, you really eat the sun. So that was a real wake up call for me to observe what we're talking about. We, you become a being of light, eating the light living off the light. That was a big wow. It's like, oh, okay, this is, this is interesting. So that, that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea. Now, along with that, I did fasting too. Mm -hmm. and they, in, in 1983, I did a 40-day fast. And then, um, but basically, I fast even now uh, seven days twice a year. We run uh, spiritual fasting retreats where you're meditating and fasting and doing the, what we do called tri-yoga, kind of yoga and that whole process goes on. But uh, so I've been fasting seven days, twice a year since mm -hmm. the 80s. And every time you fast, you're clearing more and more toxins. You don't have to do it in one big hurry. It doesn't even work that way. You know, it's it just what I found is seven days is enough to go through the whole cycle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and get that cleansing uh, on a very deep level. So that's the answer to the cleansing. So you have a life food diet, which is cleansing, and then you're then I'm in fasting twice a year that way. So that was that part of it. But in addition, I also do uh, pranayama, which I do six days a week, and I do the uh, yoga asanas. I love to dance. I do a lot of sacred dance. I love dancing. And service and charity, because that opens your heart mm -hmm. and has you feel connected to others. So I have over 100 programs, mostly diabetes prevention and organic, organic farming programs all over the world. Um, and then 
few variety of other programs. So, and then it's good to have a spiritual teacher. Mm-hmm. And we may think we know it all, but it, this isn't the way it works. And people who go before you have already fallen in all the holes. They, they know where you get in trouble. And so having a spiritual teacher who can kind of really see the depth of where you are is very, very important. Meditating as much as possible. For me, meditation is like food. That's how I really get my energy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the uh, activation of the kundalini or spiritual energy that I've talked about. Those are the, the real food and, and the whole secret to the evolution. And the result is you naturally create a quiet mind. You're not even thinking about it. It's, I'm joking. You're not even thinking about it. You're not thinking. Done. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just naturally happens. So I call it in my book, the, the path of holistic liberation. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing all these things. Now, I want to get back to the soul question for a second. Okay. Because um, in the Torah tradition or Kabbalistic tradition, there's five levels of soul. So nefesh is your physical, the soul of your physical body. Okay. The Yitzhara is the soul of your astral plane body. Your individual soul, neshama, is that. And then you have haya, which is your soul that connects you to all souls. And Yehida, the fifth level, it connects you hardwired you into God. So we're, we're like complex beings with levels of soul. And the whole idea is to heal on every level of the soul and in, in the evolution process of, of the liberation. So it's just a, another way of saying it. I mean, it's soul, but it's the levels of the soul too. Okay. So I know there's a lot of, you know, focus on kundalini yoga and kundalini period for a number of reasons. And a lot of people awaken it in different ways. So what would, and I think some people awaken partly in the make, they don't fully, fully awaken to it or they lose it or something like that happens. So what is your experience with that or your, your knowing, or how did, how did you get your awakening through that way? Well, the traditional way, my tradition, which is a yogic tradition, okay, mm-hmm. is through Shaktipat, where the person who's awake uh, gives you the touch and, and the right context, you know, it's a meditation hall and all that. Mm-hmm. Usually, you know, here, third eye, something like that. And that transmission of energy comes in. Okay. It's also, incidentally, very much in the biblical tradition. It took me a while to figure that one out, but it, it's clearly there. So, but the point I'm making is it's the transmission of spiritual energy. And if you're ready, it can awaken that latent potential spiritual energy in you, which in different traditions is labeled different things. We call it the Holy Spirit. We call it Kundalini, but it's a, a latent energy that's waiting to be activated. Mm-hmm. And in our tradition, mostly by touch, but also by look, by breath. So I'm actually doing this over the internet through the eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised, but it works. Okay, but so, so those are the ways, by look, by touch, by breath, by sound, all can awaken that. Now, if we just use the term spiritual energy, we get away from 
calling it Kundalini, if you see what I mean, because that is you know, kind of one tradition. Um, in the Torah tradition, we call it the Raha Kadesh. And, uh, you know, in Africa, they have other names. You follow what I'm saying? The energy's there. Right. And that is the beginning, not the end, the beginning of uh, the next level of spiritual uh, evolvement that can take you to liberation. Now, the point you're making, and I think it's, it's a point people don't quite really get, is it actually is a spiritual responsibility. When the Kundalini is awakened, one needs to feed it. One needs to do all these things to keep it unfolding. And I have seen people who didn't do that, got more ego involved in that their Kundalini is awakened, da, da, da. But here's the point. And then it kind of fades out. And that's really, a, you know, a sad one. Now, I've had a variety of people come to me because uh, my own, uh, in my tradition, I've been um, empowered by uh, Swami Muktananda to be a person to awaken this Kundalini. Okay, so we try to, you know, reactivate them. But the point I'm making is, you just wasted a huge gift. You know, it's like, hey, take it seriously. It isn't some kind of energetic game. This is really important. This is a gift of the divine. And we need to now help it unfold. So it can fade out if you aren't properly nourishing it. And, you know, with diet and the lifestyle, the things I'm talking about, meditation, the pranayama, all those things. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think some... Going back to the diet thing that you talked about, because I've been on the self-ascension path for about 12 years and um, this path as well, it's very much a vegan vegan lifestyle. Um, but every time I see people getting ready for a huge expansion, they're getting ready to just hit another level. They're like, whoa, 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 I need meat. And that'll be the way of like self-sabotage where they'll eat the meat to take them backward because the ego freaks out. So the body freaks out and now they feel better and they think they need it to be grounded. But what they did, what it did do is it brought them backwards so that they didn't lift. <laughs> the flow of the spiritual energy. I mean, yeah. that's just, it's a fact that I've observed over the years that people what I would call self-medicate if they felt they couldn't handle the energy. Right. So you talk about, um, let me see if I can get this right. The, the sevenfold piece, what is that? Well, I'm also uh, connected with the Essenes um, and have visited Qumran many, many times here in Israel, which was one of the Essene sites. Uh, and going in the Jordan River where... Uh, John the Baptist and Jesus went in. There's a place. Um, uh, and the scenes had sites all over. But getting back to your, your question, is, is that the uh, scenes were a, I will call them the ecstatic prophets of the desert. Okay. And I, um, even when I was eight years old, I was having visions of them. So it's, it's, let's say, the most um, mystical part 
in the Torah traditions of a whole way of life. And what they did is they separated themselves from the uh, outer society so they can focus on their spiritual life. And they meditated and they worked and they also did dancing and singing, you know. Uh, so uh, that is who, who they were. And one thing that most people don't know or don't quite get is in Qumran, it was like a like an ashram, so to speak. It was just for men, but uh, up in other areas, the, the seen families existed. Okay, and so there there were seen families in different places. Uh, see a Galilee, where Jesus was, you know, born. I mean, grew up, and so we have a mix of. Uh, that idea of uh, the celibate of scene. It's like you're going to, uh, not these days college, but uh, in Indian traditions, there's a time where you're supposed to be celibate as in your teenage years and so forth to, as part of your spiritual path. And then you can have families or you can do this, you, you know, but there's a maturity that has to happen. Uh, so that was my, uh, is my connection with the Essenes. I, uh, I've researched it pretty uh, deeply, and um, that would be what I would say is that connection. And now that our typical energy has gone into uh, different spiritual movements. Like you mentioned in your movement, there is some interest in the scene energy, mm-hmm. but it has to do with that purity of heart and purity of body, purity of mind. It's kind of that archetypical energy to do that. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's a very important part that's needed to kind of elevate in the spiritual life. So you need that kind of, those levels of, of purity and ethics and service uh, and really lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Did that answer the question there? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And you talk about sacred relationships also being a very important aspect to your to awakening. So can you talk a little bit about that? I could talk a lot about it. But... <laughs> I bet you can. <laughs> so there are different paths. You know, in the East, we have more of a cave dwelling kind of thing where you're by yourself. But in the West, um, the, the energy is more of relationship as a spiritual path. And when I marry uh, a couple I'll make a very clear point that you are now beginning a spiritual path and your interactions and the way you treat each other and the issues that come up are all empowerments for you to awaken spiritually. And parents that say, oh, I got too many kids. I got this. I, you know, I don't have time for spiritual life. No, your family is your spiritual life because your kids, they give you lots of lessons relationship a lot of lessons so in a, in a way it's almost more intense if you take the attitude that that relationship the sacred relationship is there for your spiritual growth that's the key you know right. it's how it works as you see it or as you believe the belief so everything as i point out into the nothing is how do we use what's happening to grow spiritually so Sacred relationships is a very, very powerful uh, path if we choose to take it 
as a spiritual path. Mm-hmm. Okay, and raising kids and having kids, you know, that's a spiritual path if we choose to take it that way. Right. So that's the key. So I, I see that now what happens in sacred relations is it does uh, intensify the awakening process at the psycho- emotional psychological level because it forces you to deal with your family of origin issues, your own intrapsychic issues. Everything comes up. If you're seriously involved in a relationship, everything comes up to you. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it. It's, it's almost more, more of an amplification for spiritual life uh, because it's two people amplifying all their stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I see that sacred relations is a, is a very clear spiritual path. And so I'm not talking tantra, tantra, sexual things. I am talking about the psycho-emotional uh, interactions that help clear up family of origin issues mm-hmm. as well as your own intrapsychic issues. So it's a huge opportunity for purification. Sure. Well, once you realize that everything in your outer experience is a mirror, right? And, and you stop blaming the things that happened to you and you take responsibility and when, wait a minute, I created this. Okay. So what part of me do I have to go back and unwind? (laughs) Then everything in life becomes a sacred relationship because you're constantly being reflected what needs to be looked at and loved more really. Absolutely. You know, all creation is there for our spiritual growth. Everything we do is a gift from God to help us wake up spiritually. But sacred relations kind of intensifies it a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're talking about, um, you're not talking about a relationship, right? You're talking more about a a sacred partnership. Because I think there's karmic relationships, like people that we just need to come and have some healing with, and they're here to help us do that. And then there's people who are our absolute, maybe the other half of our, our soul, or maybe you know, someone that's a true soul partner. Is that what you're talking about? Or maybe you have different wording for this? No, not so different. So <laughs> you have karmic relationships. So you come together, you're either a task or to interact. So you grow spiritually, just like you said. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you also have what I'm going to call soulmates. But soulmates has uh, different meanings. Right. Okay. Um, some only are coming together to wake each other up spiritually mm-hmm. and to, to bring people to uh, each other to liberation. There's another uh, level of soulmate where it is about elevating each other, but you're really at, at some point you even have the uh, potential to become as, as if one soul. That's something people don't talk about as much, but Originally, we were one soul, from right. my point of view, okay? And then we went, broke into 600,000 souls, you know, on and on. But so in a sacred relationship, there is the opportunity, the rare opportunity to merge at the soul level. That's a much deeper level of soulmate. So soulmates come, they're, they're meant to help each other, to, and that's one level. And we have different ways of seeing it. You maybe grow up together and your soulmates or 
traditionally say the mates are usually not the same age, come from long distances apart, and they, they're drawn for their spiritual growth. But then I'm talking another level. I think soul union is maybe what you're... Yeah, soul union, soul merging. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other level uh, where you really know the oneness. Mm -hmm. So that's the higher level, a more intense level of what it is. So I I talk about it in my book in, in different levels, including merging. So let, let's talk about that a little bit too, because we, I think we touched on it at the beginning. You talked about that there was a point where you actually did feel an hour's worth of fear before you broke through. Right. And so that breakthrough was, was the ultimate union for you? Uh, it was letting go to have the ultimate union. Right. You know, fear is a block because as I write in the book, people have a lot of fear of intimacy. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of fear of kind of jumping off the cliff into the nothing with each other. Unknown, you know, double jeopardy because you have two things going on. And it's stepping into the unknown. Uh, sacred relationships are not for comfort. They're for spiritual growth. <laughs> and it's unknown and it's out of your control which is good, which is good. So the fear of intimacy has to do with that also. It mirrors what I was talking about earlier of that fear where, oh God, this is merging with God. I mean, that's, that's beyond what I can beyond think of. <laughs> yeah. And so it gets scary, yeah. you know. So that was in 1973 when I experienced it. But sacred relationship is makes you confront it in the, at the relationship level, but that's a precursor to becoming one of God. Right. So that's how yeah. that works. In a way. So, so tell me, so for people out there who are listening to this, who've maybe been on the path for a while doing the work are passionate about it. Um, good diet. They're trying to, um, you know, what are maybe the, the three things that you would say, these are the three things you, you, you know, that'll help you get there the fastest. So you can't technique your way to God. <laughs> so then I, so that's the first advice. It's like, make it into a way of life. And when it's your time, grace appears and it happens. Um, that's, that's the key. In other words, you can do the work and you have to do the work because you want to be as prepared as possible to receive the grace. And, uh, you know, uh, people may be uh, meant to be liberated, but because they don't do the work, they take it for granted. It doesn't happen. This is a rare opportunity. So if you feel that this is really your time, this lifetime, if you see what I'm saying, then, then you're doing the work and then grace has to happen to take you uh, to that point into liberation. It's not something you can earn. Because liberation is different than just going into the nothing. I began experiencing it way before I was liberated. 
just through meditation. Of course, if you do that enough, you're you're right uh, there, but grace still has to happen. Right. And and, 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 on, and honestly, if you're in an everyday going to work, raising kids lifestyle, you can't meditate six hours a day. Right. Right. So you have to find other ways to to be able to release that mind and lift into that state, you know, without. Well, the answer is yes. Uh, remember, well, at that point, I'm married. I have two children. One's five, one's eight. You know, it's not like my children were involved and you mm -hmm. know I was spending time with them every day and I was also working as a doctor in the ashram and mm -hmm. it wasn't like I was just hanging out but I was taking every single piece of free time mm -hmm. getting up at two in the morning to meditate you know mm -hmm. uh, meditate do, do you follow what I'm saying right I made the space I was so hungry for it but I'm still a householder still taking care of my kids. I'm still, you know, in relationship. So all those things are going on. So um, I, I think it's really possible to do. I think it's a little tricky. Uh, it's harder work. You have to be more motivated to be able to do it while you're raising a family, while you're working. But that was the conditions. I was working six hours a day seeing patients, okay? Say, take that back four hours a day, seeing patients, you know, in time with my, you know, it's the complexity goes on. Um, so I, I, I want to, in a sense, people to hear that if you're hungry enough, you can make it happen, whatever the situation is. That's really what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And um, that's kind of a message there as a householder. Right. My grandfather, it's okay, but it's, it's, that's key. Because you have to have that intention. And no matter what, you're going to do it. Right. And it's, it's called being hungry for the... Something that we use on the, on the path of self-ascension is, you know, you, you need steadfast commitment, focused awareness, and complete trust. And yeah, that's like absolutely. the formula. Absolutely. Fundamental. <laughs> it's fundamental what you just said. You have to have those things. You know, uh, the persistence has to be there. That desire. I talk about the, you know, the urge for God. Okay. The divine urge. That's what I talk about in my book, Into the Nothing. It's just that divine urge is driving me. I wrote a bunch of poems about it. I have a lot of poetry in there too. Because to me, it's very romantic, very passionate. It's like, it's a whole thing. You know, it's not like work. It is, it was, a, it was and is, for me, a very passionate, romantic way of living. Now, not everybody thinks about spiritual life that way. But I'm giving that as a model. It's, it's just ecstatic, joyful, turned on the whole time. That's why the word passion is important. Mm -hmm. it's like whoa passion for god life everything is passionate you know relationships are passionate you know doing your service is passionate and it's like oh, ah so that's kind of what i'm saying so everything we use we we apply that that passion happens the passion for god passion for whatever you're doing so it's a turned on way of being mm -hmm. 
whatever your situation is. And that's, to me, really uh, a key to the spiritual life. And I call it spiritual joy. Uh, people, there's a danger. You can work so hard that you lose your passion. That um, happens to people. It's like, wait, wait, you want to keep your passion. You want to keep your spiritual joy. And then, you know, it'll happen. So there's a balance people have to have. Um, and if you lose that balance, then you kind of lose your spiritual energy in that mm -hmm. way. And that, that definitely happens to people. Yeah, um, balance is extremely important, you know, especially in a world right now that's so out of balance that it's it's really important to keep that, to be able to walk away from the work or whatever it is and do the things that nourish, nourish yeah. the body, <laughs> the mind and the soul. Yeah. yeah, and so that's all the play. Okay, the advantage of a householder is they ha it's they have to be able to do that to be successful in the spiritual life. When you're just living in a cave, you don't have that kind of pressure. That's why I think the householder path is in certain ways a more powerful way. Absolutely. Well, and, these pressures. Yeah. And I and I think this is meant for all of us right now. I think we're not meant to be going in caves. We're meant to be fully awake out in the world, helping other people remember who they are with our presence so that now we live in a society of people that are, you know, infinitely compassionate, present in passion and, and remember who they are. Right. Exactly. And you're not doing that in a cave. I mean, I, and, and there's value to the people that have because they they held that energy and that that opportunity open for the rest of us. So that's right. But now it's a time, not only for us, but to create, like I'm going to say, an awakened global mind. Yeah. And I think that's coming. It's uh, we have certain uh, world meditations. And we literally affect the global mind. We literally decrease sunspots, you know, when we're meditating on the planet, yes. when everybody's doing that together. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's key. We have, a, we have the ability to affect the world and the consciousness of the world. Mm -hmm. The dark forces are wanting to do just the opposite. And if you right. give that attention, which is what people are doing right now, it's like, wait, you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. Focus on the truth of who you are. Mm -hmm light will shine and everything will come back into balance. Right. That's, that's why we need more media attention on us. Right. You know, we need a, a they've got so much power because they've got all this media focused and everyone's, you know, addicted to the drama basically. <laughs> and, and what we're doing is less, less focused. So people aren't seeing as much of it, but at least we're starting to get out there a little bit more. So <laughs> Yeah, well, we are, but we don't have, I mean, the whole idea is as we're meditating, as we're praying, as we're leaving it, it naturally gets out there. And it's almost better that it's a little hidden so it can flourish. Right. The other side of thinking about it. Right. You know, not that we're hiding under a, you know, a, a barrel somewhere, but we're, but we're doing it in a quiet way that helps awaken people, helps inspire people to know the divine. Mm-hmm. So is there a few more things? We maybe have five, six minutes left. Is, is there a few more things about the book or what you do that you would really like to share with the listeners? Well, 
into the nothing is it's a holistic way of life that takes you to liberation. And the key challenge is how to put together your life in a way that elevates you spiritually, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And everybody's a little different. Everybody needs a slightly different combination of things. And so part of it is to understand we're unique soul individuals. There's a general path. Everybody should generally meditate and generally do this, but we're also unique. And it's, it's key to really understand the uniqueness within the, the bigger picture. Still vegan, still doing things, but kind of uniqueness. The other thing is that I call it spiritual courage. Um, that's part of my Native American kind of input is, is that was big focus on spiritual courage. It takes a lot of courage to focus on God and lead a spiritual life. So I want to emphasize and honor people for having or developing the spiritual courage. It is a component in the big picture. Uh, and, and so I want to emphasize that. It isn't just your meditating, but you, it takes courage to raise your family in a conscious way. It takes courage to live in a conscious way. Mm-hmm. And persistence. Never, never, never stop. Never stop. So those are the the big messages and that God dwells within us as us, but also as part of all of creation. So it's experiencing God within and without. And find the ways that are most powerful for you to connect to the truth of who you are. You started early talking about that. And that's key. The truth of who we are and my experience is the light of God within ourselves, shining through our soul, illuminating our whole awareness. So the more we focus on the truth of who we are, the better we're going to be able to actually be in the multi-complicated world because we can always remember the truth. That's our anchor. And then when we come from that, then everything else comes into order. So we should never... Let any situation or any outer stuff take us away from that attention. So it does require a little attention. <laughs> you got to remember who you are. So those are the, the key things. And I, I, we've talked about the six foundations. You actually asked me about the sevenfold peace, which, I, you know, which is more of an Essene thing. And that's peace with the body, which we've talked about, you know, uh, for me, I'm doing yoga every day. I'm, I'm up to 1,200 push-ups every few days. I mean, I, you know, okay. Peace with the mind, with the meditation, okay. Peace with the family, which is sacred relationship and right relationship with the family, right relationship with your community. And it doesn't mean you have to be in the midst of that chaos, but you need to be in right relationship so it's not affecting you, mm. which is kind of what we hinted at. Right. And then peace with all cultures. And the Native American, we say, oh, Matakiwasan. What does that mean? To all my relatives, the rock people, the living planet, the plant people, the uh, walking, flying ones, and the humans. Okay? Peace with all cultures and all human cultures. And then we have peace with the living ecology. 
So for me, I don't consider myself an ecologist. I feel myself one with the living planet. I'm not separate from that. A little different way of experiencing. And then peace with God. So that's the sevenfold peace. Mm. When we have all those in alignment, it brings us in this total harmony with every dimension of our, of our life. So the six foundations are more the inner development in a way, and the sevenfold piece is a little bit, a little bit more outer related, connecting those things. So that's a way of life. So to me, the it's important not to see these as spiritual practices, but as a normal, natural way of life, holistic, I'm going to call it way of life that helps you wake up right and then we have to look at that and say to ourselves is this helping me wake up and make sure you're on track right so can you tell we have just a few seconds here left um tell everyone where they can find your book right find you okay (laughs) good question thank you both places you go to drcousins.com and you can find the book, order it. You can get it most everywhere. The second thing is when you go to drcousins.com, it has the different workshops and things I'm doing. We have uh, bi-yearly fasting, spiritual fasting, uh, meditative retreat. Um, we do that over the internet now, but it's okay. We, I teach a course in the yoga of the mind, yana yoga, to get rid of uh, dissolve the, the, the thought forms of the mind. So we have a clear mind. Um, we have a, a monthly uh, meditation retreat. And so those are the, the kind of courses that we have, the meditation retreats, the uh, fasting retreats. And then I also have a new thing I've started called Alive with Dr. Gabriel where people can come and kind of really get uh, more involved in spiritual life. And then we also have uh, the Tree of Life community, which schedules and has everything everybody wants and all my tapes and videos and all that stuff for the last 40 years. And that's all there too. Um, And then uh, we also have what we call the Shakti uh, space where people who are really more committed are in their own can create a fellowship for themselves. So you're not isolated alone. So all that is found at drcousins.com as a kind of a gateway of things. And all the schedules, all the workshops are there and our weekly schedules and our monthly schedules and yearly schedules, all that's there. So that's the place to go, drcousins.com. And then you can kind of go in the different directions. Okay. And we'll, we'll have the links below too, if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube. So, okay, well, we are at the end, but thank you everyone for listening today. And thank you, Gabriel. Thank you. And thank you, Terry and me. You be blessed. Everybody who's listening, be blessed. And your whole movement be blessed that we you continue to do such great work in uplifting the consciousness of humanity. Ah, thank you. Love it.